Five-year-old uh, tubing is much easier for a five-year-old. Yeah, I know, but you weren't here to help set it up. So I would have, but I didn't. But you weren't here. I know you would have, but you weren't here to do it. All right. Um, March 19th, this is week 11. Um, to quote Jesus, it is finished. He meant a whole lot more than that. Using that a little bit out of context, but you get the idea. So um, I'm just going to kind of walk us through a pretty shallow review just to stir our, our memories a little bit. Um, you know, and how, if somebody wants to camp down in a section and talk about something, um, I, you know, I'm, uh, anyways, um, not going to push the role play thing too hard, just go around. Um, Anyhow, uh, yeah, let's just uh, let's just walk through it in any area of interest or um, just feedback. What you appreciated about something, what you didn't appreciate about appreciate about it. You know, like ah, I kind of get the idea, but I don't think that's that useful for these reasons or whatever. So just wide open discussion. Individually on, the, on each tactic or like as a whole. As just as we walk through this, just anything, or if something triggers a thought that we're not necessarily talking about, but it makes you think of something that you are interested in talking about, do you have permission to go ahead and talk about it? That's all I'm saying. All right, 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That's been our theme verse. And then we've had a theme quote. Uh, Gregory Kukul, the, the author of our book, Tactics, that we've been uh, working through. Christianity is a reasonable and rational worldview that resonates with our deepest intuitions about reality when understood in its proper context. All right, so backing all the way up. What's truth? What is truth? The Bible? From whose perspective? From your perspective, from James's perspective. The Bible is not the source of, I would say, absolute truth. Okay. What, what makes it true? I agree with you. But, but uh, I would say you're putting out a roof. So I'm asking for the walls. What, what in, in a sense, um, maybe, not, maybe don't press that too far, but yeah, in a sense, uh, what makes it true? Because God said it. Because God said it? Okay. There are historical and? references from study of history that have proven that King David lived. There was this built and that built. So the historical context has been uh, justified by non-believers, even. Yep. So there are historical references that that that. Legitimize, if you need to say, mm -hmm. uh, scripture. Yeah, all those all those answers are right. I would I would push that one a little further and say that we we see in in, in order to kind of smuggle it in under the shorter overarching answer, um, we we see areas uh, historically uh, archaeology uh, archaeologically is that a word? Did I say it right? It is now. It is now. I'm right. I say that a couple more times with a little bit more authority, and that'll be a thing, even if it's not. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that can be tied to reality. Like, oh no, that is actually the way it happened. So in short, I, there was nothing wrong with any of those answers. I think all of those were good, right answers. In short, I would I would describe it simply as truth is reality. Truth is the way things really are. No matter how you feel about it, no matter what you think about it. So there, there is a God, right? But, and it really kind of comes down to, is there a God or is there not a God? They're not both true, right? So one is and one isn't. Which one is? Well, the one that actually is consistent with reality. Uh, so that's what truth is. In short, truth is reality. Truth is the way things really are. All right, now the more important question, how many types of truth are there? One, okay. Two. Which two? What are they? That's right. Two. What are the two? If you if you can rec objective and subjective. Yes. That's right. All right. So that's perfect. Thank you, sir. Uh, tease that out a little bit more. So which one is is 
the subjective and which one is the objective? So, um, so the, way, the way I remember it, subjective is subject to different people's opinions. Okay. So if I see something and I say, oh, it looks like the table is white, but objectively it actually isn't white. Or that, that's a bad one because color is weird. No, that's fine. Maybe the lighting is off. So it, it truly is a particular color, but because you were in a certain light, you thought it was this color, and that was what was true to you subjectively. You looked at the table and saw blue, but in reality, the table was green or white or whatever. Different light, Different light on it, sure. So one is absolute, not based on any particular person's opinion, but based on what actually is. the reality truth, what is. Yep. And then that's how we see it. That's right. So subjective, good job, man. Subjective truth is something that is true for or about the subject. It's true, but in a subjective sense. That kind of truth claim is known as subjective truth. Objective truth is something that is true for all people, irrespective of their cultural beliefs or values. In philosophy, objectivity is the concept of truth independent from individual subjectivity. Why is this concept so important? Like, I stress this when, like... I, I don't want to say like this is the thing to take away from this class, but like if you said somebody could only take away one or two or three things from the class, this would be one that I would definitely want them to remember. Why at least to me subjectively is this point so important? Because you need to know the difference between it being true because you feel like it or you're being true because you've got intellectual documentation or supporting facts. And what do skeptics do to us? What do they accuse us of? When we're, when we're sharing the gospel, they accuse us of, of, of advancing a subjective truth. Oh, that's just your truth. No, we're saying this is in line with reality. This is objectively true. That's our, we could be wrong, right? We need to be humble enough to say what well, we could be wrong. But this is our belief, and, and this isn't a subjective belief. We're saying objectively there's a God. He created you. Uh, you're separated from him because of sin. He, he took on flesh and died a perfect, innocent, substitutionary sacrifice. So that if you place your faith in that, you can be reconciled back to God. Like, this is the way the world works. Like, this is objectively true. That's our belief. So whether we're right or whether we're wrong, okay, that can be debated. But this idea that we're advancing a subjective truth claim is wrong. And, and a lot of times, the person that's accusing you of that doesn't even know the difference between a subjective and objective truth. And, um, and it's, you know, it's useful to help them with that framework in their own thinking. Doesn't mean they're just because you help point that out, they're going to, you know, just give their life up to Christ or whatever. But, um, you know, helping them at least form better arguments against you is uh now my favorite example of this is the the ice cream right we talked about subjectively i can have this particular flavor i think it's the best dale thinks another flavor is the best we're both right we can both be right at the same time in the same place about the same thing and have different opinions because it's subjective but if we go a step further and say that ice cream is the best medicine for treating diabetes, now we've made an objective truth claim and we can naturally see the, the problems or the implications that arise. All right, so what is a, a presupposition? Nice, yeah. Uh, it's, a it's a presumption that serves as the foundation upon which a distinct idea is founded. Right, yeah, you said it just fine. And um, who does not use presuppositions? Everybody, right? A, nobody doesn't use them. Everyone has, uh, you know, a certain worldview. Um, whether their worldview is they don't believe in worldviews. <laughs> okay, that's your worldview. Everybody has one, and you can't have one that isn't based on presuppositions. We all have a certain framework with which we, we look at the world and, and assess um, and, and decide and classify and so on and, and so forth. So basically anything that is assumed in advance or taken for granted, essentially information that we presuppose to be commonly understood. Uh, that's a presupposition. All right, we talked about uh, relativism or, or postmodernism. Um, what is, um, is postmodernism or, or AKA relativism? What was, go ahead. The, the denial of objective truth. Right. 
Um, yes, perfect. What what preceded it was modernism, right? This idea that, well, more or less that, that God's dead. We've learned enough about the world and how everything works. And, you know, so that was, there was this, there was all this religious stuff that kind of got us through when we didn't really know how things worked. And then there was this birth of science and that's kind of the modern age. And now we've really got a handle on the world around us and we don't need God anymore. Um, and then that now has morphed into this kind of idea that, you know, postmodernism that basically there is no truth. Um, it's a philosophy that affirms no objective or absolute truth, as James said, especially in matters of religion and spirituality. All right, what is, um, what is an argument? Two people opposing each other. Okay. Could be. They're, they're in an argument, but it doesn't always have to be hostile and, and ugly. Um, Perfect. No, you did great. No, that's absolutely right. Uh, a form of rhetorical expression intended to convince or persuade. Um, the the book gave a um, a pretty good illustration. I think we've already teased it uh, today. But how did they how did they suggest to uh, or how did how did he how did Greg suggest to think about um, uh, an argument? What what illustration did he use? Yeah, simple house, right? So um, now, what was the what was the the roof on the house, or what could be just a roof, an assertion or a statement, right? Just claiming something to be true. You know, okay, fine, that's your assertion or that's your conclusion or that's where you're at. But to to, to Jesse's point, what is um, what are the reasons that you hold that position? What are the walls that hold the roof up? So. Um, uh, oh, I have a reminder here. Um, ad hominem is not an argument. Uh, what is ad hominem? Against the man. Against the man, right? Uh, it's when you it's when you sidestep the actual walls or the arguments and you attack the person making the arguments, right? Make it about their character or something else um, that that's really irrelevant to the to the discussion at hand. So, uh, calling somebody a name is not the same thing as making an argument. Oh, boys, I don't even know. Um, oh, I thought you put your hand up. Yep, I know it, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I just wonder what it says about me because sometimes I just want to climb in the ring with them, you know, like. You're both jerks. Right. <laughs> exactly right. That's, that's exactly what I mean. Yes, sir. Let me advance a fight. Dad just walks in one time. He grabs one of our heads. He knocks our heads. He's like, You're both wrong. <laughs> All right, um, there are three essential skills that an ambassador should possess. Do you remember what they are? Intellect, logic. <laughs> Intellect, all right, that's, that's close enough. Mm, character, yeah. Integrity, I mean, that's fine. Sure, good. I mean, it's the right, it's the right idea. Yeah, Love. Love. Patience. Patience. All of these are good ideas. I remember there were three of them. Y'all want a second to look them up because you know they're there or you just want me to tell you? Ta take your time. We got time to kill, man. We're 20 minutes into an hour and 15 minute class and we're probably halfway through the review. Y'all will knock the test out in five minutes or so and then we're going to be sitting here looking at each other. I have a couple thoughts. That I Share them, man. That's what we're here to do. Unrelated to the subject, just apologetics in general. Oh, okay. Well, here, let's cover this bullet point and then let's, let's tease out whatever thoughts you have. What skills, yeah, three skills uh, that, a, that an ambassador should possess? One of them should be being able to show Christ while you're doing your job. Yeah, that's true. Patience, logic, 
Credibility. Credibility. All these are good answers. We should write Greg like, man, I think you need to expand the list, buddy. <laughs> we got ten. We got ten. Why did you dumb it down to three? All right, so knowledge, wisdom, and character. Knowledge, wisdom, and character. Yeah, I know. That's what you said, integrity, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much right. Um, and in, knowledge. An ambassador must have some basic knowledge. Minimally, he must, um, he must know the character, mind, and purpose of his king. Right? So you've got to know a little bit about who you're representing as an ambassador. Uh, we talked about, you know, maybe some folks that wouldn't make good ambassadors. I, I think I used the example of uh, Homer Simpson. Right? We wouldn't necessarily want to send Homer Simpson to be, uh, say, a U.S. ambassador to, uh, you know, Ukraine or, or something. Um, he, he um, well, I'm not sure how much knowledge he has of, about anything other than, like, donuts and beer, right? I, um, he, he, is not, um, he, he is not what you picture when, when you think of, of sending the embodiment of, of an ideal to represent... Uh, another. So, a at a minimum, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, that could be a whole class. Um, <laughs> what not to do if you run the free world? Um, <laughs> Okay, sorry. I'm just going to read it again because I can't get my I can't get my thoughts together. Knowledge: An ambassador must have some basic knowledge. Minimally, he must know the character, mind, and purpose of his king. Um, I wish I could do a really good Trump in, in impression right now. I'd, I'd have a couple of clever things to say. Um, all right, the second one is wisdom. <laughs> Knowledge must be deployed in a skillful way. Uh, what is the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you don't put it in a fruit salad. That's the, that's the second big takeaway from class. Yeah. That's right. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Wisdom is what you do with what you know. How do you handle that knowledge? You know, how do you leverage it? What do you, what do, you do with it? Go ahead. What, what gears are wisdom, turning? I wouldn't say wisdom is what you do with that knowledge because I could know how to run an ATM and go rob one. That isn't exactly wisdom. That wouldn't be wise. But I guess wisdom is knowing the outcome of what you do. Like if I punch him, he's going to fall down and punch me back. But basically, just, just being able to discern the outcome and thinking better of it, not necessarily what you do. You're applying discernment to what you know. Right. What you do with what you know. Yeah. What's the difference between faith and trust? Ooh. I trust that that character will be up, but until I sit in it, I'm not exercising faith. So you can know something but until you act on it, the wisdom isn't until. Well, but wisdom isn't an action. I think. Not always. That's what I was sitting here thinking as you were laying that out. I was like, hmm, that's pretty good. But I don't always have to act on, physically act on something in order to be wise about a certain situation. It could be wise just to, to not act, to not respond, might be the, the wisest thing to do in a particular situation. So I liked where you were going with that, but that was the one thing I was like, hmm, yeah, I don't know that we always have to be, you know, that it has to be in, in the affirmative or, or, or actually acting out. Sometimes it, it could be withholding. It could be, so that's why it's kind of a principle. The application can change all over the place, but, but there's information. And then there is what should we do now that we know X, Y, Z. You know, like I sometimes, I, I use my wife so much in here. Sometimes I'm getting my head bit off for something, right? And I'm, I'm very well aware. I know that I am in trouble for something. I have that knowledge. <laughs> and then there might, be, uh, there might be other pieces to the information, like um, it, she didn't have the greatest day, etc., for, for whatever reason, and, and I know that there's more at play. So is the wise thing to do to just call her on it and, and start fussing back, etc., or 
Maybe Dustin just realized that because of what you know, this isn't really about you right now. She's just venting something out on you and you just need to pull her in, give her a hug and tell her everything's going to be all right. You know, what's the wise thing to do? Tell her she's wrong and she's acting like an idiot? Or just hug her and tell her everything's going to be all right? You know, but I, I know enough to know I, I can choose how I respond to this right now and it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way it plays itself out. So, so that's wisdom. Go ahead. Choosing your battles. Choosing your battles is wisdom. Argument should draw the relationship closer and give you a deeper understanding of each other. Yep. If it's not going that direction, you need to be still. And sometimes that's the right thing to do because it's the wise thing to do even when you know you're right. <laughs> Go ahead. No, oh, that's true. That kind of ties in with the tomato analogy. You know it's a fruit, but knowing what to do with the fruit is knowing it from God's perspective. You know, I don't know if God would put tomatoes and fruits out. So, so how does that line up? Because that's I would, a biblical version. No, that's an interesting thought. I, the way I would respond to that, if you throw that out there, is I would say that, that ultimately God doesn't, you know, God doesn't do anything that isn't wise like so of course i would say that 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 would be the ultimate uh preeminent standard of of wisdom is is the mind of god but those that don't know him or refuse to serve him can still conduct themselves in a wise manner like so i i i like that example and i totally agree with that example um I, I, however, I would say there there are applications of wisdom beyond that. That, but nonetheless, if they are acting wise, then truly wise, then there there should be something of God in that decision, whether they're aware of it or not. That decision should produce something that that resembles or represents the nature and character and, and, and mind and will of God in some fashion. You should be able to spin some kind of moral of the story if you see wisdom being executed, even if it isn't being done so through that definition, just because of their own worldview or their own presuppositions or whatever it might be. So I wouldn't push back on that idea at all. I would say, yeah, ultimately that's absolutely correct. But if you, if you come out of that context, you can still talk about wisdom. So I would just give that caveat to it. But I don't know, would somebody respond to that differently? There's no way I would say the concept's wrong. Yeah, I think it's right on too. It's just I can I can also use it without without leveraging God. I can still talk about wisdom, but but I, yeah, I, I have no problem with that. Dale, it looked like your gears were turning. They are, but I don't have any wisdom to add. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, uh, the next one is character. Uh, because an ambassador brings himself along in everything he does, his personal maturity and individual virtue can either make or break the message. So your, your reputation precedes you, so to speak. Um, can anybody give any personal examples or experiences or testimony to where, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be within the vein of evangelism or, or even apologetics, um, but just to where somebody's character was flawed or suspect or whatever and, and you just had issue learning from them or taking instruction from them or, or whatever it might be. Does, does anybody have a, a personal story of, of when character wasn't where it needed to be and it caused problems? Um, it wasn't character wasn't where it needed to be. It was okay, I guess. But when I was you know, five, I knew something was right. And I told everybody about it, and they all had different opinions, but maybe now I don't believe like a baby when they say I'm wrong or someone else is wrong because they're a baby. You assume that they don't, they're not as wise as you. So the character's not wrong, but they're just not, like, like whatever they say, you think is not going to be relevant to most things because they're younger. They have, they have a... That's why some kids aren't listened to because they're like, whatever you're saying, it's not going to be relevant to this sort of thing. Which is most of the time right, but... But I've learned to be careful with that. Sometimes you get the most profound truth from them little kids, and they're like... Yeah, you're like, oh my gosh, I just walked right over that when I missed it. Go ahead. 
Mm. Happens all the time with pastors. Grab your favorite example and tell us about it. And I, favorite is a, you know, I, I'm using that word loosely. None of us like to see that kind of thing happen. It isn't something to be celebrated. But to your point, it does happen. What, what's an example of where you can recall it happening? Very much so. Mm. I forget his name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, him, uh, Robbie Zacharias, a big one. Yep. Uh, especially in the apologetics community. Yep. Uh, I had a friend who really, really struggled with his faith. I don't know if you've heard of the YouTubers Rhett and Link. They're YouTube brothers. And yeah, a while ago, one of them had a whole video saying, I'm renouncing Christianity, this is why. And, really and what were his reasons on why? I don't remember. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch the video. This was several years ago. But I had a friend who watched the video and really, really struggled with his faith. But this guy, which which is a, it's a little bit on 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 a little bit off subject. But when that guy, I mean, Christian was really struggling when one of them, you know, renounced his faith, and how much more for everyone else? Well, these guys have been Christians all the time. Now they're not Christians. All of a sudden, they're not. Which isn't exactly the same. That's all right. It's in that vein. I think it lives in that neighborhood. Um, yeah, go ahead, Julie. When somebody's never had a child, never been married, is a family counselor. Oh my gosh, so good. That is such a good one. I heard somebody, no, I, amen, preach, sister. I heard somebody say here, I don't know, within the last six months, they were arguing that Unless a politician has had children, they should not be able to, to write or vote on laws that involve children. And I was like, that is a beautiful idea. Like, why can we not get more kind of just basic logic principles like this baked into our politics? Like, yeah, if, uh, if you don't have kids, then um, you, you just can't write any laws about them. I think that's pretty good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is it? A don't don't lose it, Trey. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Yeah, yeah, AOC. Yeah. That costs millions of dollars. Right. It's like, it's like contradiction of like, the hypocrisy. Hold on, hold on, Julie Trey. Just flipping that idea of unless they've like they've experienced it, they can't vote on it. You could do the same. They the the other people in the world could flip that around, basically saying, well, if you haven't experienced having an abortion or say you can't vote on that sort of thing. And they can flip that around to ours to that side sort of thing. So that's yeah, I just you can flip that other way. Mm, I, I'd like to debate that with you, but I, I like where your mind is working uh, the way your mind is working. Well the argument would be I've never been pregnant or carried a child, but I know that abortion is wrong. So I can legislate knowing without having a personal experience against, just like men can legislate against abortion. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be pregnant, carry a child to understand that that's wrong. Right. So to some extent, you don't have to have a child to vote what's right for a child. I've never had a child, but I know that abusing children is wrong. Right, but there's some objective <laughs> truth. Moral kind of yeah. Truth. Some objective truth. That, no. But yeah, it's an interesting thread. Yeah, I, I, like the, I like the approach. I think I could... Um, I think I could back you off of that, but we'll 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 save it. Uh, but I like the I like the engagement. I like the way you're thinking and wrestling with that. Um, and and we're you know let's get out of the po political ditch. But um, <laughs> anyways, I, I like Julie's point. That's all I'm saying. Um, the, the 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 idea here is is that you can't get outside of yourself. There's there's no sense in which. Your, your message is, is going to be received independent of the package that it comes in. That's, that's just, your, 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 and you can never lose sight of that. Um, you know, like I, I've been talking with the boys about just the way they present themselves. You know, I am not one to say that you have to dress a certain way or you got to, you know, you got to have the nicest of everything. No, not at all. Uh, but you, you, must, you must take pride in yourself. I don't care if you only have one pair of blue jeans to your name. Fine. Iron them things every day. 
You know, you only got one t-shirt. Fine, no problem. Iron it. You know, like make yourself presentable. Don't, you know, don't appear as a, a, a distraction. Um, uh, you know, not that, not that somebody with, with dirty or, or wrinkly clothes or, or whatever, that that necessarily means anything bad about them. But when somebody approaches you and looks a certain way, you start making certain presuppositions right away. There are things going in your mind before they've even spoke. And that's just how they're physically presenting themselves to you. What if you're aware of this individual and they have a particular reputation and so-and-so planted this seed of gossip and you know this thing and, you know, et cetera, and now they're trying to come to give you a piece of advice and you're like... Pfft. I know what you did to your wife or whatever. I'm not taking that advice from you. So you, your character is is with you all the always all the time. You can you can never escape it. So because an ambassador brings himself along in everything he does, his personal maturity and individual virtue can either make or break the message. So you can bring the gospel with with absolute clarity and precision. But if you have a reputation that makes you say untrustworthy, well then so is your message. And, and, and that's, you know, I think that's kind of the spirit of it. What were you going to say, Julie? Well, I was going to say, I had a niece one time complain that men are always looking at her chest. But I said, if she showed less cleavage, it wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> oh. We assigned for that about our high school. I mean, yeah. if you want respect, dress respectfully. Business attire does not include cleavage. I, um... I'm going to keep my mouth shut on that one. I don't I let... Yeah, I can say it as a woman. Yeah, I know. I'm just going to let you do your thing. And I... Freedom to do what you want, but you won't, you can't go past the package it's in. Right. And in her position may be, well, I'm not that. And it's like, okay, fine. And that may be true, but the way you're presenting yourself is creating a bit of a distraction. And go ahead. And there's Isaiah says, do not arouse the passions you're not willing to satisfy. All right. Period. So knowledge, wisdom, and character. <laughs> All right, let's get into some tactics. Columbo tactic. <clears throat> Go on the offensive in an inoffensive way. Uh, with carefully selected questions that productively advance the conversation. Yeah, I was going to say, what's, what's, the, what's the A1 premier example of the Colombo tactic? And Trey nailed it. What do you mean by that? All right, so share some thoughts about... Um, th this would be another one. If you only walked away with one tactic out of the whole book, you'll get the most mileage out of Colombo. And in fact, even if you can't remember Colombo tactic, if you can remember, what do you mean by that? You can always hang on in any conversation that you're having because the idea is if you're, if you're outgunned or outmatched in terms of wits or knowledge or, or whatever it might be, uh, debate skills, so on and so forth, you can hang in there by becoming a student. Just keep asking questions and learning more and more. And then, you know, the real hook there, I think, is um, uh, trying to parlay that into another conversation later. You know, so if you need to go and regroup and, and figure out a couple of these questions, you're like, oh, I know there's a good answer to this. I just forget what it is. Fine. Take note of that. Ask a question. Have them explain more. Um, and, then, and then see if you can't circle back and finish that conversation with them later. But what do you mean by that? Personal thoughts, feelings, whatever on the Colombo tactic. Um, I talked to my dad about it, and he gave me a little bit of an example because I didn't understand it. Basically, it's like ping pong. You don't have to spike it back on them. You just have to return the ball. You, have, you don't have to, be, you have to be defensive, pretty much, and pretty soon they'll mess up. Yeah, and and actually, it, uh, if you lift up the hood, you're actually being offensive. Um, you, you because you're looking to advance the conversation. 
So, you know, offense and football, they're trying to move the ball. So are you as an apologist. But sometimes you, you come up against a, a pretty tough opponent. You can still be offens uh, offensive. <laughs> Don't be offensive. Be offensive. Um, <laughs> avoid that part. Uh, again, knowledge, wisdom, character. Uh, but you can move the ball forward even if you're out, outmatched intellectually. And that's what Colombo does. Any, anybody else have thoughts or feelings on Colombo? Mm. So, so it's not the same thing. Right. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. What? So, just on the fly, what would be some um, iterations of that that come to you? I'd like to understand more about what, what your thoughts are. Can you can you flesh that out? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's interesting. You know. Um, yeah, what does that mean? Or, or when you say X, I like to use that one. Now when you say, you know, what's behind that? You know, and, and getting them to talk more and, and you'll be surprised at, at how much more color comes into a silly idea the more words they use. And it, and it actually, when you're, when you're engaged in the hand-to-hand -hand combat, not in a negative way, but when you're, when you're engaged, the, 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 the more iterations or variations they give you, the more times they try to explain the same concept, what they're really doing is, is cracking more doors open for you. And now you can kind of pick and choose like, mm, I think I'm going to go in through that door, you know, and have that conversation, etc. So anyway, somebody else, was it you? Did you have your arm hand up? Oh, that's a good one. Help, can you help me understand that? Yeah, and and it doesn't need to be manipulative. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to sound humble like that. If you're truly in humility, just asking, you know, and that's that's what you're there to do is love that person and be interested in that person. And and yeah, you you're convinced that you have the truth and and you want to share it with them. Um, who who was it? Was it Penn from Penn and Teller? Um, who's the who's the big guy? Is that Penn? Do y'all know Penn and Teller, the magicians? Penn is the big guy? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and because uh, Teller, I think that's how I used to remember it. Teller's the smaller guy and he never talks, right? But his name was Teller. Uh, tell. I think I got that right. Anyways, there's a YouTube video out there. You should go, you should go find it where Penn... It's like he's sitting in his apartment, he's kind of in the dark or whatever, and it's very personal and intimate. And he just turns on the camera and, he, and he's an atheist. And he starts talking about how some Christian had hung out after one of the shows and waited on him and got a brief conversation with him and had given him a Christian tract. And um, he was saying how much he appreciated that. And he goes, now, I don't agree with the Christian. I don't agree with anything in the tract. I think they're wrong. He goes, but that isn't the point. They think they're right. They think there's something to this God and eternal life thing. And they think I don't have it. And if they actually care about me, then the loving thing for them to do is tell me what they believe is true. And it's like, absolutely, man, that is as intellectually honest as you can get. Um, and uh, anyhow, um, I don't even know why that, there was a tie-in to that. I'm getting too old for this. I might have to start taking notes as I teach. I'm, you know, why are you saying X, Dustin, before you start to say it? Did that fit in somewhere? Did that make sense? Help me, James. What was I trying to say? Well, that fits in with what we were saying about character and, and, and kind of tying in with First Peter or whatever, where it says you know, that, that you may be blameless and keep coals of fire on their head. Basically, don't come across them. You don't have to be offensive if you're truly trying to reach people, if you're truly caring for them. It will show, and in an intellectual conversation, that will be asking honest. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so that could be, Thank you, James. Being it will be showing care. It did fit in there. I care about you. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, we're not attempting to manipulate. We genuinely believe we have the conviction that we have the truth, and we're wanting to share it in love. Um, so, as a matter of fact, I, uh, what do you mean by that? I think you need to show the Especially if you're already emotionally a little bit worked up. Mm -hmm. I've seen several fight, fights start with. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, the suicide tactic. This is this is um, this isn't my favorite, but it's it's one I like this one. Uh, what's the suicide tactic? Does anybody remember? Yep, yeah, it self-destructs. So it takes advantage of the tendency many erroneous points of view have to self-destruct. So what were some uh, what were some examples of that? Was that the one with the girl I don't know if that was a story that he just used in the introduction of the book or if he used that in the suicide tactic. I don't remember. Yeah. Was that is that right? Yeah, I think that fits right. I think you guys are right. That is in that chapter. Um, my favorite is um, there's no such thing as truth. Right? How does that how does that commit suicide? How does that statement commit suicide? There's no such thing as truth. Because if there's no such thing as truth, that's not true. That's a truth claim, right? And the truth claim is that there's no such thing as truth. So it, it self-destructs. It, it self-refutes. Um, you know, uh, like somebody saying, I can't speak a word of English. That's a suicidal, that's, that, that statement commits suicide. Um, uh, I told my wife that I enjoy being a bachelor. That, that statement commits suicide, right? Yeah. Uh, Blaze, Blaze told Guy that um, he loves being an only child. You know, it's like, uh, two counts. I just got that. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Um, there was knowledge and wisdom bound up in that joke, Dale. I'm not sure if this works, but if you just walked up to someone and said, I never speak and was there you go. That would work. Yep. That, that would that would that would self-destruct. That couldn't be true. All right. So the suicide tactic, and this kind of thing happens a lot. If you if you pay attention and, and listen, um, you'll you'll hear that kind of stuff out there, and it it really can. I have used the suicide tactic with people. In now, granted, there's degrees of things, but for for me on my scale probably about as lovingly as I possibly could do it because it's hard for me to do things you know I'm just not very loving I'm not very kind I'm not very gentle I just I'm missing a few genes uh, pray for me I try I want to be I just don't always quite pull that off but but yeah I've I've used it in a very loving way and I've had people get so irate mad and and I just take that as a victory and I'll back off because they know they've been had and there's nowhere to go there's no logic to push back on it's just it just turns to an emotional response and um, I've some of the some of the most live encounters I've had have been through uh, the suicide tactic and I've seen people just lose it um, which on the inside makes me smile which isn't which isn't right but but it's making me smile because I now know that I have successfully placed a pebble in their shoe. We can drop this conversation and the next time they go to think about it, they will not be able to think about it with the same framework that they did prior because a major lie has been exposed. So the suicide tactic is quite, uh, quite useful. Alright, uh, so it takes advantage of the tendency, tendency many erroneous points of view have to self-destruct. Alright, taking the roof off or reductio ad absurdum, the, the taking the roof off tactic, what was it? Knocking the walls down. Attacking the reasons behind it. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. That's fine. Um, it's a technique designed to show that some views prove too much, right? So you're you're taking the roof off. You're exposing um, the reality of of whatever is being advanced because a lot of times if you take an idea and you push it to its natural conclusion people don't like where it goes and they're like oh well that's not what I'm saying it's like okay then what are you saying because if I take what you're saying and I I push that a little further that's where we land I think I think you're right. I think that's the trotting out the toddler. I, I wasn't sure, but since I wasn't sure, I was like, ah, you, you probably got it right. I know it all starts to bleed together. Are you right? So it, the the taking the roof off had three steps. The first one was reduce the point of view to its basic argument. 
right? Or assertion or principle or premise. And then step two was give the view a test drive, right? So, okay, do I, you, you want to confirm that you've got the idea that they're advancing or asserting? Hey, am I, am I understanding you? Yeah, you got it. Okay, now let's take that somewhere. And, and do you like where that do you like where that goes? So you know, giving it a test drive, give the view a test drive to see if any absurd consequences result when we consistently apply the logic of the view. Uh, go ahead and walk us through the trotting out the toddler, James. I remember like, like what Justin was saying earlier, where you mm -hmm. have someone who says, you know, "Oh, I, I believe you can abort." I mean, in New York these days, you know, up to the third trimester. Right. It's like, okay, well, where is that? Where do you, if you take that point of view? Where does it end? And you can say, try out the toddler. All right, here's a one-year-old. It's been out of the womb for a year. How is it human now? Well, that, that, that's a little bit more driving it. But, you should, but it's fine, though. That's the, that's the point. Yeah. They, according to an abortionist standpoint, you can kill that child if it's inconvenient. Well, I think you really want to break it down. The roof is the pro-life stance, and the pillar that we're talking about is when life begins. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, so you start getting into, okay, well, well, what is life? When does it start? At, you know, at how, how far along in, in the gestational process uh, do we start to call it a child? And then, you know, at what, you know, and if, if some of those are more advanced, say third trimester, et cetera, well, why, why stop there? You know, just because it's, you know, inside the womb versus outside the womb could be a matter of inches, you know, literally, what's changed? You know, so, you know, if I can, if I can kill the baby at, at this stage, you know, if I'm having a bad Saturday morning and they spill the milk, like, why can't I kill the baby at that stage? Like, it's an inconvenience. I don't want to deal with it. So, of course, that's atrocious and awful. But from a logical standpoint, what separates, what makes the difference? And then, obviously, when you start talking about killing a kid over spilled milk, people are backing off like, whoa, whoa, no, that's not what I'm saying. And now we're, we're back to utilizing Columbo. What are you saying? You know, like, help me understand here. Go ahead. You gonna, why don't you just teach the next class? I think you're ready. Yeah, give her a fist bump. I think she's ready, man. Uh, and then step three, invite the person to consider the unusual implications of their view and the truth that follows from the reductio. Um, so anyways, uh, step one, reduce the point of view to its basic argument. Give the view a test drive. Invite the person to consider the implications. That's taking the roof off. Uh, so whatever lie it is that they're hiding under, you're just wanting to expose that and say, yeah, I don't think you've really thought that through. All right, the steamroller tactic. What's the steamroller tactic? What is a steamroller? What's a steamroller? Yeah, so it just keeps talking and doesn't give you an opportunity to talk. It will never stop talking. You will never give you an opportunity to talk, even though they know they're up. Okay, I just steamroll it. Yeah. Alright. I think it's fine. Yeah. I think it's fine. Um, what is whispered You know, but, but can I can I get a little bit more, you know, respect? Can I at least get the Mr. Martin tactic or something? Like I you know I've worked hard to earn that title. I, you can't just say Dustin. I, you gotta give me a little something. No, that's fine. Steamroller tactic, Dustin tactic, I, that's fair. A, it's fine. A technique for people who try to overpower you with their strong personalities. All right, so there were, there were three steps um, for dealing with a steamroller. Um, what, what are those three steps? Does anybody remember them? Stop them, shame them, and leave them. Boom. Stop them, shame them, awesome. leave them. Yeah, Trey, get it. Um, and remember, we were talking about uh, uses of body language and different things to try to curb some and take some of the edge off and, and you know, how you do that. Um, I'll, just, I'll just pull one out. If, you're, if you've decided to, to leave them or leave the conversation because they aren't actually interested. There's like glitter on this thing. They aren't actually interested... In, um, in an intellectual conversation or, or, or trying to, you know, stimulate each other, uh, they, they just want to, here's my point of view and you're just going to listen to me. They're, they're not interested. So you catch on and you're not going to waste your words. You're not going to cast your pearls before swine. Um, so if you decide, I'm, I'm going to check out, what's the, what's the right way to do that? Ask them, basically, are you... Do you want an audience, or do you want to actually have a conversation? All right, that's good. I would say that's in step two, though. That's part of politely shaming them. 
So the, the tip when you're leaving them is let them have the last word. You know, just let them have the last word. Back to back to your 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 characteristics of a, of a good ambassador. Um, just just conduct yourself with good character there. Let them have the last word and and, and bow out. Um, all right, the road scholar tactic. It's a misapplication of appealing to authority. That's right. Provides a way of assessing whether an appeal to authority is legitimate or not. And um, here's where I've got the assertion and argument uh, bullet points. I, I jumped to that too soon. An assertion is a declaration that something is, is the case. An argument is a coherent series of reasons, statements, or facts intended to, uh, to support or establish a point of view. So a lot of times uh, an academic or, a, uh, you know, we hear experts. We hear about experts all the time. Uh, and they just, they just come out and say something. Well, okay, maybe that's true, maybe that's not true, but just, you know, you providing your assertion or your opinion isn't enough. You have to give us the argument and then we've got to, we've got to consider those reasons. Um, I, liked, uh, I liked the quote from uh, Dennis Prager where when he's interviewing somebody or, or having a discussion or whatever, he says, uh, you know, first just tell the truth, then give your opinion. You know, just, just state the truth, then give your own personal commentary. But don't try to influence or, or color uh, the, the information with, with your opinion or with your assertions. So the Rhodes Scholar tactic, you know, you don't have to be afraid of, of the experts or, um, you know, any, any other appeal to authority. It, it may or may not be legitimate. You know, just because they're appealing to an authority doesn't mean they're wrong, but there's more to it than that, and you have to force them to provide uh, that evidence for you to also consider yourself. Uh, just the facts ma'am tactic. An awareness that many challenges to Christianity are based on bad information. It's just a basic presupposition and it's really not a bad one. Be careful to not abuse this because it's not like all challenges against Christianity some of them are good, honest, intellectual questions and people just haven't ever been given the, the, the help on how to think about that, um, you know, but but sometimes it's you know sometimes it's it's just some soundbite that they heard from somewhere. It's not even it's not even true. Uh, we won't get into straw man and, and all of that, but it, there's two basic steps to the to the just the facts, ma'am, tactic, and it's identifying the claim, getting a clear fix on exactly what the person is asserting, and then investigating those facts. You know, are those things actually true? Reconciling the the claim with the facts to determine if the claim is factually accurate. It may. Or, or may not be, but, but just the facts, ma'am. And I, I think when we were pushing through this, I said it's really kind of just uh, an iteration of the Rhodes Scholar tactic. But, but nonetheless, um, it, it is its own standalone tactic. So uh, more or less an awareness than it is an actual technique. Um, uh, what were some of the other examples that we used on just the facts, ma'am? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That was, yep. Um, oh, that was another tip. He was like, sometimes if you just do simple math, you can tell somebody's lying. Like they say, oh, I've done, what was it, half a million cavities in my 20-year career. And it's like, well, when you consider how many hours in a, in a work day and if you took vacations and if you ever had any sick days, et cetera, et cetera. No, I don't, I don't think you did 15 or 20 cavities a day, you know, for, for 20 years from the time you began your career. And sometimes just, just stopping and thinking about the numbers that are being used to support an argument, you can, and again, it doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong, but it, it can cause pause and say that needs to be looked at uh, with, with a, a little bit more of a critical eye. Um, okay, the, 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 the last and the best and the most important one, even though, even though Colombo is the most useful, um, this one is the most impactful, but before we do it, what you got, Trey? I was distracted. Oh, I thought you was raising your hand. Uh, the inside-out tactic. This is the freshest. This is more, more or less a review. What's the inside-out tactic from last week? What's the inside-out tactic? Sorry, just talk it out till it comes out and makes sense. You're fine. Just do it. You're, you're both humans. You both have the same basic needs, basic 
desires. We want to be safe, we want to be loved, we want to be secure, um, and, and working on that aspect of it. So if someone's scared or if someone is confused about why is there pain in the world, it's like, yeah, pain is bad. That's right. Pain is bad, suffering is bad. How did it get here? Well, it got here, because, and, and working kind of through that, uh, sympathizing, like feeling with sim actual sympathy. Yep. Francis Schaeffer called it the mannishness of man, right? That, that, that imago Dei, this, this idea that we're all made in the image of God. So the inside-out tactic is not so much a specific maneuver as a frame of mind and understanding of what it means to be a human living in God's world. Um, so uh, the, the step one, it, with, when utilizing this tactic or, or embracing this maneuver, step one is to listen to the way people talk for when from their own mouths their acknowledgement of ultimate reality intrudes on their personal philosophy. So this is where we were really pressing the Earth Day thing. Dale, what's the, what, how's the inside out tactic play, play itself out with, with the example of Earth Day? That's right. That's exactly right. Um, so that's a violation to what they, that intrudes on what they say their personal philosophy is. There's there's an ultimate reality there that that is is creating a bit of a problem for them. So then, what's the second step? Once we've uh, once we've listened and we've heard this, what's our our next step to to utilize or leverage the inside out tactic? We exploit the tension by asking a question. Right? They, they've got to explain that. They've got to ground that in something. Right? So if there's no meaning to life, there is no point. If there's no ultimate universal morality, how can anything really be evil? You know, why talk someone out of killing themselves, for example? You know, why? Uh, it, it makes no sense given certain worldviews. So it, you know, when, when, you, when you identify or when you hear someone doing this kind of a thing, you know, when, when ultimate reality is intruding on their personal philosophy or their personal worldview, you, you want to draw that out. We're using the word exploit. Maybe that's too aggressive a language, but we're wanting to draw that out by just asking a question and, and forcing them to, to explain themselves on how that is logically consistent. Is you know? Um, well, yeah, you could you could argue that, but it's it's the Colombo tactic in a you being used in a particular context to where to where to steal Francis Schaeffer's language, their 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 mannishness is on full display. There is something that is intuitively true and right inside of them that they know because they're made in the image of God, whether they acknowledge Him or not, and and there is a a, a compass of right and wrong that's that's woven into the fabric of of most everyone. And um, and they're they're violating that conveniently. And so yes, you anytime you're asking a question, you could say you're leveraging the Colombo tactic for sure. Um, but but in a in a very specific way. Um, so that's the inside out tactic. So it's not so much um, uh, a maneuver as it is a, a frame of mind. So the asking the question would maybe maybe be the maneuver tray. Um, but but the reason that you're maneuvering that way is because you notice this violation within their own worldview. Um, if that helps, that seems like a lot of words. Um, all right. Uh, do you have those? Do you have those tests? Yeah. All right. So there are. Uh, if you want to pass them out, Blaze. So there's 13 questions, and then make sure I didn't accidentally delete any of the answers. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh yeah, but some of them are, are more than one. So, anyways, you've got uh, you got 16 answers down below. Um, all of those answers fit somewhere in those those blank spots. So if you, is it open book? Um, no. <laughs> It's not open book, but I, we just walked through every one of these. We basically just walked through this test. Um, so you... Now, do you want us to put the letter in or the word? I'd prefer you to put the word in. That's a good point, Trey. Yeah, put the word in if you don't mind. And also your name. That, that, um, that blank, the answer to that blank is not in the list of answers at the bottom. <laughs>
I'm gonna go ahead and stop the recording. But James, I don't want to. Um, I want to touch whatever you had. You said you had a couple things about apologetics in general. Um, but uh, that's it. That's it for the semester. Um, so thank you for listening. Thanks,